Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. Melissa, before you leave, help me out. Help me out. I want you to ask me a question. That question, I want you to say, Jeff, tell me how you really feel. Okay, so just just help me out. I think regardless of whether I ask this, you're going to tell me. But Jeff, tell me how you really feel. Melissa, I am so glad you asked me that question. During Melissa's news, she talked about the delay in the Kyle Rittenhouse trial. This is a big steaming pile of you-know-what. Everybody involved in this decision should be absolutely ashamed of themselves, and it is one of the reasons why the public loses faith in the legal system and the criminal justice system. If you haven't been following this, okay, Kyle Rittenhouse, of course, is the at the time the 17-year-old who on the third night of the Kenosha riots, yes, I said riot, went out and he was part of like a self-proclaimed militia. He ended up uh, shooting and killing two people and injuring a third. All right, everybody knows about the Rittenhouse case. It's been in the news, and it's become this huge cause celeb. Some people view Kyle Rittenhouse as a victim. He was there just defending himself. The defense is ultimately going to be self-defense. Other people view him as, again, this out-of-control, gun-toting guy who was out there looking for trouble. All right, that's what the trial is going to, to settle. The events that led to these shootings, regardless of how you feel about this, occurred on August 25th of last year, August 25th of 2020. The trial for Rittenhouse was scheduled to occur on March 29th, which would have been seven months after the incident. Now, let me just give you some perspective from a recovering lawyer here and a former federal prosecutor. This is not a complicated case. It's not. It is a straightforward case. It's not a whodunit. We all know what happened. It's ultimately going to boil down to a a question of intent, and can the defense convince the jury that was this a self-defense case? Can the prosecution convince the jury beyond a reasonable doubt as to what his intent was when he fired on these people? but this isn't this isn't a situation where you've got thousands and thousands of records and hundreds and hundreds of subpoenas and all sorts of detailed financial analysis it is however you feel about this it is a straightforward simple prosecution one way or the other and i think you can make a strong argument that i mean i've always believed that justice delayed is justice de- denied especially given all the controversy surrounding this i think you can make a strong argument that 7 months from the date of the incident to the time that this goes to trial is a ridiculous amount of time it's almost crazy that the parties couldn't be ready in seven months. But if you haven't heard the news, you don't have to worry about it being ready in seven months because they've taken the matter off for trial on March 29th. Um, Apparently, both sides told the judge that they needed more time to prepare. And the Kenosha County judge has now pushed this back to November 1st, November 1st, 2021. The, of course, the shooting incident occurred August 25th of 2020, August, let's see, September, October. So assuming they stay with the November 1st trial date and no further delays, it will be 14 months before this case will go to trial. 
14 months before the case will go to trial. Apparently, the prosecution, this was like a joint request, but the prosecution sort of asked for this, saying both sides needed more time, citing a number of outstanding issues. What What are you talking about? This, I mean, given the public interest in this case and the interest in resolving it, this is a case that should be fast-tracked, especially given the fact that it is not a complicated matter, especially given the fact that you have instances of the defendant who's out on bail. And remember, the prosecution tried to revoke his bail. I think it is just appalling and almost unconscionable to push this trial, which at the end of the day, like I say, despite its high profile, is a simple, straightforward case. It's not a whodunit. Everybody understands what was done. For the prosecution to agree, and apparently maybe even make the request, to kick this trial back so it's over a year, 14 months after the incident, I think is a slap in the face in the commu- for the community. Now, from the defense perspective, I understand. Defense, defense rarely wants to go to trial soon. I mean, delays are always, almost always in the benefit of the defendant because witnesses might forget, witnesses might die. You know, the time does typically not work for the benefit of the prosecution. Given the profile of this, given the straightforward nature of the case, however it is resolved, to delay this trial for 14 months from the incident, like I say, is absolutely unconscionable. Shame on the judge for going along with this. The fact that the prosecution would tend to kick this down the road and suggest that they wouldn't have been ready for a March 29th trial date, seven months after the incident, tells me that candidly, you wonder, do they know what they're doing if you couldn't get a trial like this ready? And I'd speak from the perspective of somebody who tried lots of complex trials in federal court and I I tell you you look at something like this and you should be ready to go to trial in 90 days certainly seven months would have been reasonable now it's going to be 14 months so this whole thing this whole pail is going to linger for month after month after month over the entire community of Kenosha delaying this trial to November was it's almost unbelievable it's not in the interest of anybody Maybe it's in the interest of the defendant, but as far as the general public, would have been nice to have somebody looking out for the public saying, hey, look, we have an interest in having this matter resolved one way or the other instead of just kicking this down the road. 14 months, and that's not even guaranteeing that the thing is going to go to trial November 1st. You wonder, is this thing ever going to go to trial? And like I say, sometimes there's complex cases that you you need a year to try to uh, flesh out. This is not one of those. A very bad decision coming out of Kenosha today. And, I mean, there's a lot of blame to go around. But I start with the prosecution, who apparently didn't feel they were ready to go to trial on March 29th, which makes me wonder, what have they been doing? All right, when we come back, let's talk about Disney+. Plus. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. This week's sponsor for the Jeff Wagner Home Improvement Showcase, presented by Great Midwest Bank, is the Home Market. Located in Milwaukee's historic Third Ward, the Home Market specializes in custom furniture and unique home accents, bedding, and lighting with a casual but elegant style. Find them at shophomemarket.com. When you give them a call, say hi to Kate for me. Okay, a couple people are are saying, well, you know, Jeff, what, what do you mean that like a delay doesn't benefit the prosecution? As a general rule, 
a delay, especially a delay of over a year from the date of the incident, does not work for the benefit of a prosecution. First of all, from the defendant's perspective, he, he's out on bail. So, I mean, it's, it's, it, it, it's, it's fine. I mean, it, it's great. You know, stay, stay out on bail. He, he's not held accountable if he is in fact guilty. And I take no position on where this is going to go down right now. But from the prosecution's perspective, the passage of time almost never works to the prosecution's benefit. What happens? Witnesses' memories blur. I mean, it's just, it's a recipe for reasonable doubt. You are much more likely to remember something vividly if it happened, you know, yesterday than it is if you're asked about it 14 months later. So witnesses' memories blur. Witnesses die. Witnesses move away. It's just, as a prosecutor, at least if you're a good prosecutor, you want the trial typically as quickly as possible, unless there's some giant piece of evidence that you're hoping that's going to descend from the sky. But the Rittenhouse case isn't like that. That That's not what the Rittenhouse case is. It's not like you need to go through, you know, hiring forensic analysis uh, to forensic accountants to review thousands and thousands of pages of tax returns. No, it's a simple, straightforward case. Now, what conclusions you draw from the facts of the case, well, that's up to the arguments to the jury. But delaying this Pushing this back another seven months, appalling, appalling. Shame on everybody involved in that decision. All right, let us switch gears. The Disney Plus channel, and again, this is, I don't care about Disney Plus, but but this is sort of this larger issue that's out there. Disney Plus, for, I mean, going back to last October, they took a number of famous Disney movies, animated movies, and what they did is they, they, they rated, they started giving them ratings with, with warnings. What they have now done is taken that a step further. On the Disney Plus channel, a number of movies are no longer able to be accessed directly by children. So if it's seven and under, and that's the kid's account, they can't access these movies. Adults can still access the movie, so the movie has not completely disappeared, but the movie comes with, like, warnings and things like that, and I guess parents could sit down and watch it with the kids, but the kids can't watch them themselves. Here are some of the movies that Disney has singled out, and my question to you is, at some point in time, can't we just say that it's just a cartoon? Are we overreacting to this stuff? And my answer would be yes. Okay, here's some of the movies that are getting these these warnings and the not suitable for kids under the age of seven. Lady and the Tramp. Lady and the Tramp because two Siamese cats, Sai and Am, are depicted with anti-Asian stereotypes. There is also a scene at a dog pound where heavily accented dogs all portray stereotypes from the countries their breeds are from. Pedro, the Mexican Chihuahua, Boris, the Russian Borzi. All right, so that's that's Lady and the Tramp. All right, we, we got to have warnings on that. The Aristocats, 1970, a Siamese cat called Shun Gun, voiced by a white actor, is drawn as a racist caricature of an Asian person. He plays the piano with chopsticks. Dumbo, 1941. Dumbo's been controversial for a while, I guess. A group of crows that help Dumbo learn how to fly have exaggerated, stereotypical black voices. The lead crow is called Jim Crow, a reference to a set of racist segregationist laws in the southern U.S. at the time. He is also voiced by a white actor. The Jungle Book. 
All right, that's got a warning on it. The character of King Louis, an ape with poor linguistic skills, sings in a Dixieland jazz style and is shown as lazy. The character has been criticized for being a racist caricature of African-Americans. Of course, it's, it's the Jungle Book, and it's animals, and it's an ape. Peter Pan. The film refers to native people as redskins, a racist slur. This is the description I'm reading. Peter and the Lost Boys also dance in headdresses, which Disney now says is a form of mockery and appropriation of native people's culture and imagery. And then Song of the South, which has never been released on DVD in the U.S. because that's the the, the Uncle Remus stories. Okay, our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Can't we just say it's just a cartoon? I mean, at, at some point in, in time, where, where do we draw the line when it comes to trying to look at movies that were, again, presented in 1955 or 1970 and saying, okay, yes, th- this, this has certain stereotypes in it, but you know what? I bet you there's lots of other movies that have stereotypes that relate to, I don't know, maybe um, non-indigenous people or you know, white people or things like that. At some point in time, can't we just say it's just a cartoon and, and move on? Or do we need to obsess over, oh, my gosh, you know, you've got this scene with the crows in Dumbo or you've got Lady and the Tramp and there's two Siamese cats that are portrayed as being Asian. So can't people just perceive that it's just a cartoon and move forward? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I mean, seriously, where, where does it all end? Does it all end? We discuss in a moment. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Jeff, soon we will not be able to watch anything with Vikings because it perpetuates stereotypes about Norwegians. Well, maybe you do wonder where this this slippery slope ends. One of the other movies, by the way, that I didn't mention that Disney is going after is the Swiss Family Robinson because they have pirates in it, and some of the pirates are portrayed as. I, you know, it, it, it's it's not like they're they're black. It's not like they're just they're sort of. It's unclear as to what their race is, but they're portrayed kind of in a in a derogatory fashion. So so now we're we're protecting pirates as well. My my, my question is: at, at what point in time do we just say, hey, it's just a movie, it, it's just a cartoon, and you you judge it by those standards? But we don't need to say, okay, we have to have all these different warnings that are out there. Shane and uh, Steve in Menominee Falls. Steve, good afternoon. Yeah, I, I think that you need to use historical reference. So when was the film made? And what were the norms during that period of time? To apply whatever the norms are now, which I have no idea what they are anymore. Me neither. I mean, you, you couldn't even create some of these movies because they would make no sense whatsoever. It'd be so woke that it wouldn't be entertaining anymore. Well, I mean, th- thanks for calling. Well, that, that's exactly I mean, okay, so... I think the thing that bothers me the, the most about this, and, and look, I, I could, do I do I care one way or the other whether you if you want to watch Dumbo or you want to watch The Lady and the Tramp, which by the way is just a beautifully made movie that that you have to have some like warning about this because it, it might be insensitive. But no, I, I guess I, I don't care about that. I think people are you know 
big enough to just kind of say, oh, boy, they sort of roll their eyes. But you do wonder where this ends and, and does it end if you're now to your point, Steve, if you're at a point where you're saying, OK, well, you've got the, the cartoon. It's a cartoon. It's the Jungle Book. And you've got a, a character which all the characters are, are animals, by the way. You know, that's that's it with the exception of the one with the little boy. But otherwise, all, all the characters are, are animals. And to an extent, they're all characters of each other. But, okay, so now we're going to say, okay, well, we have to put warnings on the Jungle Book because, you know, you, you've got you've got a gorilla. I mean, where do you draw the line? Do we now have to say, okay, the Tarzan books have to go because here you have, you know, Tarzan who is the, the white man who's now, you know, in, in the jungle. At what point in time do we say it's fiction, it's movies, it's entertainment? And where do you draw the line? I mean, my guess is quite candidly. I don't understand if we're going to do this, why do we just limit it this? Why don't we go back and look at Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs? Jeff, you just said dwarf. You can't say dwarf anymore, don't you realize? So how can you have how can you have a movie based around, you know, this and and and, and what about the the idea where you you have you know Cinderella and the the whole story where you you have the the prince I mean isn't that misogynistic at what point in time do we say whoa we appreciate that there's real racism in this world and we need to condemn that but trying to again identify stuff that is a harmless part and I do say harmless harmless part of culture from 50 or 60 years ago and put all the warnings on it and stuff like that and say okay well maybe we can't have these books that are out there at some point in time I think you have to dial this back and say where does this end? And the answer is, I don't know. Back for more, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. It was not Anthony Fauci's finest moment, and it happened today. Now, I, I, I appreciate that you know people have really split opinions on, on Dr. Fauci. I, I think, and I've said this for the, for the last year, I think the problem with Dr. Fauci is, first of all, I, I think he sort of likes to see himself on TV, and I, I get that, but that doesn't mean that what he's saying on TV isn't necessarily correct. It, it is that when he goes on TV, as often as he does, oftentimes he sends mixed messages. They, you know, He'll say one thing one day, and two days later he'll send something else, say something else. And by the way, I understand that science changes on things, and so that's why you've had the evolution over the last year of no need to wear masks to now we, we all have to wear masks, period. So I, I get it. Science evolves, but it doesn't necessarily evolve as fast as or as quickly as Dr. Fauci talks about it doing. But all along... I think that the operative thing has been follow the science. And and that's, I think that's a fair comment. But now it seems to be that even the people who've been arguing follow the science can't point to science that supports what they're doing. All right, so earlier this morning, Dr. Fauci made yet another appearance on TV. This time he showed up on CNN on on New Day. And they were, he was being asked about the vaccinations. For pe- and this is for people who've had both vaccinations. Now, I understand that we're, we're not close to herd immunity, but for people who have had both vaccinations, and we've talked about this before, the question was, Dr. Fauci, for people who have had both vaccinations and that the time, that 10 days or whatever it is after the second vaccination has passed, uh, Dr. Fauci, why would you explain the science behind telling people who've had both of the vaccinations that they can't travel. What, why, if they have been protected, they've got the vaccinations, what is the rationale by, by, behind telling them you, you can't travel? 
and it, again, it wasn't one of his his finest moments. Um, you know, uh, the question was specifically, we know from the Biden administration that they say it will make its decisions based on science. What's the science behind not saying it's safe for people who've been vaccinated, receive two doses to travel? Dr. Fauci, to which he says, um, um, well, the, the CDC, I think, is heading in that direction um, because now we say that fully vaccinated people can meet indoors um, this is the first in a multi-step process. They're being careful. They want to get the science. They want to get the data. But then the host follows up and says, well, well what's what's the science? Explain why, if, if the key to herd immunity is the vaccination and people have those vaccinations, they have been vaccinated, so presumably they are not at, at risk. We know what the numbers are as far as efficacy. How can you tell? What is the science that says you can no longer go ahead and live your life. And we're not talking about should they wear masks or whatever. You know, what's the science? Where is the science that says you can't travel once you have been vaccinated? And the answer is they don't have any science. There, there, there is no science that supports that. And I think this is one of the frustrating things for you know, some of us over the course of the last year, at least me, where we're, we're told, okay, follow the science. But then, then when the science doesn't support you know, where, you know, you have you know, the government that wants to take you, then it's like, well, you know, we, we j- just, just do what we want to tell it, do what we say to do. I mean, at this point in time, now I guess you can wait for data, but we've been told that these vaccines are, in fact, effective. They protect you from doing this. And unless you've got compelling evidence, for example, that would suggest to me that you um, are, are likely to be a carrier, you know, wh- why can't you travel? It's, it's a very fair question, and nobody has a good answer to it. It's kind of like the shifting thing that we see with the whole flatten the curve thing that I talk about all the time. In the beginning, a year ago, the whole argument with COVID was we've got to flatten the curve. We've got to stop people from getting this at a rate that overwhelms the hospital system. Okay, fine. I, I understand that. Well, we flatten the curve. There, there's no question that that's happened. So now what you see is the goal isn't, well, we, we want to flatten the curve. Now it's, well, we want to put all these restrictions on until we've effectively eliminated COVID. Well, all right, you're, you're not... I don't know that you're ever going to be able to eliminate this virus. It's going to be something that's going to be with us all the time. There's going to be a huge chunk of people who are going to make the decision that they're not going to get vaccinated, which means that they're going to be at risk of this. That That's just kind of the reality. So there's always going to be people that are going to be getting sick with, with COVID. The only question is... You know, not that they get sick with COVID, but are it is at a point where you, you don't have the hospital systems that are overwhelmed. I guess it's just frustrating to me that we're told, follow the science, follow the science, follow the science. And then when the science doesn't support where you know, people want to go, all right, well, you know, we don't have a real good reason why once you've been vaccinated, you shouldn't be able to travel. Then it's like, well, you know, humana, humana, humana. Not one of Dr. Fauci's finest moments this morning. And again, I'm all in favor of follow the science. I, I get it. And I don't fault him for changing his opinion on the mask rules. The science shifted. Okay, I get it. But if we're going to tell people and encourage people to be vaccinated and we're going to tell people that this is the key to returning to normal, you better have a real good explanation for once they've been vaccinated and that time period has occurred, why they can't get back to normal. And right now, nobody has a good answer for that. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. The 
smell of fresh cut grass, the crack of the bat. Ah, yes, Milwaukee Brewers baseball is back. Join Matt Pauley tonight, 6 o'clock. Get your first good look at 2021 Brewers. Hear from Craig Council, Colton Wong, Keston Hira, David Stearns, and many more. It's our Brewers spring training special today, 6 o'clock. Tonight, 6 o'clock, only on WTMJ. All right. I think this is overkill. I think this is now becoming more about raising money than it is trying to suppress COVID. If you haven't heard the the story, the city of Milwaukee, a couple months ago, jacked up the fines for bars that violate their different COVID protocols. People not wearing a mask, too many people in, all that sort of stuff. They don't go after the individuals who are in the bars. What they do is they go after the bars. And it used to be like a $500 fine. They have now jacked it up to $5,000. On top of that, the City of Milwaukee Health Department, starting, I believe, March 1st, decided what we're going to do is we're going to hire an an outside agency. And we're essentially going to deputize this, this outside agency to do inspections. They call it a third-party vendor. So evenings, weekends, etc. they're using a process serving service. You know, the people that if you wanted to sue somebody and you wanted to have the subpoena served, okay, they, they've hired this process server to go out and to investigate complaints. Now, the process server doesn't just make random to show up at bars, but if there is a complaint that is filed, what they will do is, is they go over, they write up their report, and then they send it to the city of Milwaukee. And the city of Milwaukee then decides whether or not they're going to issue tickets. And they are starting to issue tickets right (laughs) one after another. All right, here's the story as it was reported on Channel 12 the other day. As the city steps up COVID-19 safety enforcement at bars and restaurants, one bar owner is baffled about getting a ticket for more than $3,000. Uh, this is the restaurant, the bar was, it's Uncle Buck's. And the guy says, hey, I, the owner says, hey, I, we thought everybody was in COVID-19 compliance. Um, health department inspector stops by, claims she sees a violation. She walks through, everything looks good. Then she got to a bar on our second floor and said, that table's too close to that table. We may issue you a ticket. The owner says they were here maybe five minutes before you know it. You get a ticket in the mail for $3,300. And so the city says enforcement efforts are focused entirely on safety, not collecting fines or playing gotcha. All right. The the bar owner says, hey, look, you, you work so hard with these COVID rules with the city, what they've mandated. It just seems fruitless, like it's not enough. And again, the city is expanding this by, again, hiring this private agency that's going to go out on evenings and weekends and, and do their own reports. So if there have been you know, a handful of tickets now, you know between now and the time Tom Barrett and the Common Council and the governor finally allow people to start getting back to normal, you know that there are going to be $5,000 citations being issued right and left against various bars and restaurants, bars and restaurants that are just hanging on right now. Okay, our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Look, I I, I understand that, that you have to have these rules, and I understand that there are probably some bars that sort of ignore the rules, 
But the idea of $5,000 fines for a lot of these small business establishments that, like I say, are probably lucky to still be open, that are operating at a fraction of their capacity, and in many cases, there's nothing that they can really, there's very little that they can do. You walk in and you see a patron who's not masked. Well, okay, maybe the waitress sees it, maybe the bartender sees it, maybe the bouncer sees it, you can ask them to put on their mask. But, you know, is it fair is it fair to go after the bar or the restaurant for that? So is this about money or is this about public safety? 855-616-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And I do think it's interesting that at the time where we start to see light at the end of the tunnel with regard to COVID, this is now when the city is starting to ramp up its enforcement efforts and I think there are some people in the city who are viewing this as a chance to make some money while the getting is good. 855-616-1620, we discuss. 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Jeff, how much does the city have to pay this private company to check on the bars and restaurants? I, that is a very good question. The public stories about this don't say. I mean, I don't know if it's a per visit. I don't know if it's a flat fee. Um, I, you wouldn't think that it would be based on a commission. But, yeah, they're, they're shelling out dough, and you know they have to figure out a way to pay for this. Look, 5000 bucks to some of these bars and restaurants. The one guy says he got a $3,000 fine because a health inspector says, oh, these tables are too close. Really? I mean, seriously, Tom Barrett, what are you trying to do to the businesses that are struggling to survive in the city, especially when we are at a point now where as more and more people get vaccinated and things like that, we flattened out the curve. Looks to me like the city is jumping on this as an opportunity. Hey, we're going to get on this cash cow. Let's start finding these places before these rules go away. Let's talk to Alan in Port Washington. Alan, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, I'm kind of disappointed again in in the government down down in Milwaukee. I actually live in Port Washington, but I come to Milwaukee for work every day. Part of the joy of of being in Milwaukee is like part of the joy of being in a city like Chicago and New York on a smaller scale where the restaurants are booming. And I think it's absurd, and it's really that they're charging the kind of fees or fines. I can see if it was $500 for something like this. But five thousand dollars. You know, do you know how devastating that is to a small business owner. Yeah, yeah, exactly. For the last year, just to keep the doors open. Wait, wait, you see, know, right? See, I mean, Alex, imagine. I'm, Imagine a situation where you, you, you run a, a small bar. You're already limited to 25% capacity or 50% capacity, but, but you're op, you, you've been closed forever. You're operating at limited capacity, and then you have some inspector who comes in and says, oh, these tables are too close together. Here, we're going to fine you $5,000 or fine you $3,000. It's almost like you just want to say, okay, I'm going to close the doors. I'm going to lay off everybody, and I'm going to move out and run a bar in Port Washington, <laughs> you know? I mean, I mean that's that's what's happening. I mean, I I drive limousines for a living, and the big joy for people outside of Milwaukee was to come downtown and go bar hopping. Sure, but the reality is it's not happening anymore because it's it's no fun for these people. So they're just staying in Ozaki County or Washington County or going further north. Right, and and again, you know, well, and, and and I don't think these bars are going to recover. I I don't. You know, it's I, I don't be, either. No, no, thanks to call. And this isn't, and this isn't helping. Thanks to call, Alex. This isn't, and this isn't helping that as, as either. And, and this whole idea from the perspective of the bar owners. All right. What, 
you, you know, you, you've got the inspector that walks in and there's a couple people that are sitting in a corner and they're not wearing the masks. What about finding them? I mean, if the rules say you have to wear the masks and you let's say you've got 85 percent of the people in the bar that are wearing the masks and you've got a couple that are in a corner that, that aren't. You know, why aren't you finding them? Why, why aren't you finding the people that aren't complying with this as opposed to putting the burden on the bar? Well, I can tell you why. It's because the bar owner is more likely to pay. And what you have now is the city at the time, like I say, when. When the COVID issue, when vaccinations are going up, the number of reported cases is going down, the number of hospitalizations is dropping dramatically, they are ramping up enforcement. And if you don't think that there is a direct relation between let's ramp up enforcement and let's try to impose these fines, and and again, $5,000, I mean, seriously. Now, I know they imposed this several months ago, but now they've just started aggressively implying this and imposing these things. It strikes me that that what you have is the health department sitting there saying, hey, we've got the deal here. These are, these things are going to go away sometime soon. Let's strike while the iron is hot. Let's see how many fines we can, you know, have. Jeff, if inspectors were really there with health and safety as the primary goal, they would simply give them the opportunity to move the tables, not not fine them. Right? That, that's it. What you want to do is if you go in and you say, okay, you know, we, we saw that there's a couple people that, that got up from the table and they walked to the bar and they placed their order and they, they didn't have, they didn't have their masks on. Okay. When they got up from the table and, and went to the bar. So what do you do? You, maybe you go up to those folks and say, Hey, we're from the health department. You know, you, you got to wear the, these masks. That, that's what you, you know, have to do. Jeff, I agree with you that the city of Milwaukee is just trying to take money off of this. If they're concerned about the enforcement, they should be issuing citations to the offenders, the patrons who refuse to wear the mask at the bar or, you know, we're sitting at the tables or move the tables that were too close. Yeah, that's what you would do if you were serious about this. But again, it's somebody says, follow, you know, the the money. Well, yeah, I think you've got that situation there. A number of people asking, what are the terms of the contract? If it's commission-based, you know the fines will be exorbitant. I doubt that it's commission-based. I can't imagine anybody in the city of Milwaukee would be stupid enough to sign an agreement paying like the private inspection service a commission based on how many fines are generated. My guess is it's per visit or whatever. And again, it's the health department that, that assigns this. So it's not like you've got the private process company that's going around saying, hey, let's pull into all different bars. The health department assigns them. I am just saying $5,000 fines in March of 2021, given where we are with the COVID issue, given what these small businesses have struggled through, $5,000 fines is crazy, especially if it is for trivial violations, like at least in the case that Channel 12 was talking about, two tables too close together. Sounds to me like that's pretty darn trivial. Now, maybe you can fight it in court. Okay, that that's fine. But you shouldn't have to do it in the first place. Just another reason why you keep asking the question, will the last person to leave Milwaukee please turn out the lights on the Common Council, the Milwaukee Department of Health, and the mayor? Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. So, Melissa, ask me this question. Jeff, did you hear what happened at the zoo on Saturday? What do you think about it? All right, Jeff. So, did you hear what happened at the zoo on Saturday? And I want to know what you think about it. 
Thank you, Melissa. That is a great question. Here's what I think about it. I don't understand why the pervert isn't behind bars. What the hell's going on with the county sheriff's department? If you haven't heard this story, and, and this was one, actually, credit to my, my lovely wife, Fran, who was watching television last night. She said, did you see this story about the pervert at the zoo? And I said, no, I, I didn't. Well, well here, here's the story reported from by Channel 12. Okay, Saturday. This is Saturday afternoon. It was a free day at the zoo. So you got all sorts of people going to the zoo, wet, nice weather. Apparently, here's what happened. There's two guys who are there with their kids um, right above the children's playground. And this is what one witness says. I look up, and I pretty much see this older gentleman pretty much naked on a restricted hill area of the zoo right above the children's playground. So you got a naked guy on, on the hill. The guy, the man who sees this, takes pictures for, for proof, seeing that the man is, in fact, this is the, the pervert on the hill, is, in fact, exposed. The witness says, I kept, and I kept seeing that he kept pulling up his pants, pulling his pants up to his knees, and then back down to his ankles. And this went on for, like, 15 minutes, the witness said. They went to get security. Yeah, you would think. Uh, while they waited, they decided to confront the guy. They go up and they say, hey, I saw you up on the hill. What were you be, What were you doing there? He says, oh, I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. He seemed real scared and nervous. Well, yeah, you got some pervert who's exposing himself over the children's playground at the zoo. You would think they'd be scared and nervous. Okay, it gets better. The guy says, now keep in mind, he, he's been doing this, according to the witnesses, for 5, 10, 15 minutes. He said he was just trying to relieve himself. Okay, now I admit with COVID, I I normally go to the zoo a couple times a year, but maybe I'm I'm wrong about this, but don't they have places at the zoo where if you need to relieve yourself, you can like go into the bathrooms and go into a stall or a urinal or something like that? At least that's my recollection. I mean, I've been to the zoo lots and lots of times, and candidly, I don't remember having to go up on the hill overlooking the children's playground and pull down my pants up and down. Okay, so then one of the witnesses says, what do you mean, relieve yourself by watching children? And he says, yes. And I said, what? At that point in time, it's kind of like, what? Sheriff's deputies then arrived, speak to the man, and arrested him. WISN has, Channel 12 has learned that he's 54 years old. He was later released and has yet to be charged or cited. <laughs> I'm sorry, my head is getting ready to explode. How can you, how can you go out to the zoo, stand aside the, the, the kids' playground on a hill, and pull down your pants and expose yourself repeatedly, and you have not been charged or cited. The sheriff's office says he is not a registered sex offender, to which my response would be, yet. <laughs> okay, so so if you're not a registered sex offender in Milwaukee County, it's okay to hang out on the hill outside the children's playground and expose yourself? Um, parents at the zoo Tuesday, so then Channel 12 goes out and they start saying, hey, what, what did you think? There was some pervert standing there exposing himself on the hill on Saturday. And parents say, well, um, little disturbing that it would be at the zoo in front of a playground of all places. So, yeah, it's a little weird. One of these parents says, yeah, I I would say it's a little weird. I would say it's a little bit disturbing. But I would also understand and ask this question, why isn't this pervert in jail? Why hasn't the pervert been charged? Why hasn't isn't he in custody? Look, 
I, I understand, like the, the zoo said, well, we responded immediately to the incident. You know, we've made every attempt to safeguard all areas of the zoo. Don't get me wrong. I, I understand there's only so much that you can do in a proactive fashion. Zoo's a big place. So I'm not faulting zoo officials that you've got a pervert that's apparently, you know, off of the kid's playground exposing himself. I, I, you, you can't stop that from happening. But once it happens and people see this, you can sure as heck hold the pervert accountable, can't you? And again, the sheriff said, well, we, we arrested him, but then we've released him and we haven't cited him. We haven't issued charges. I, I just, you, you just kind of throw up your hands and say, what what is going on in the world? So, Melissa, thank you for your question. Yes, I heard about what was happening at the zoo on Saturday, and no, I have no clue as to why the Milwaukee County Sheriff's Department is not making arrests and why or is not pursuing a prosecution and why the DA's office hasn't issued charges and I have no idea whether this 54-year-old pervert is back out at the zoo in the same place as he was on Saturday. Relieving yourself. Give me a break. All right. When we come back, the COVID relief bill is moving its way through the House of Representatives. If you were listening to the one o'clock news, Nancy Pelosi says it's all about it's all about helping people. It's about the children. Oh, really? We'll discuss one aspect of it. Stick around. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. I typically have a rule that um, if you're listening to the program, you shouldn't be more amusing than me. But there's a pretty funny one. I'm talking about the, 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 the pervert on the hill at the county zoo that apparently is still roaming free. Somebody says, well, Jeff, he probably had a mask on, so that's okay. <laughs> that's, that's it. You're exposing yourself. But as long as you're wearing that mask, that, that's, that's all right. <sighs> you can't make this stuff up. All right. The, the COVID relief package is going to... And I, I say that with quotation marks because it's billed as, as the COVID relief package, but actually very little that's in it really has anything to do with, with COVID relief. This is an opportunity for a massive, at least in my opinion, shift to the welfare state and a, a massive expenditure of tax money and just, just, again, income shifting that has, again, nothing to do with COVID. And it's going to pass the House of Representatives today because it's for the children. And then it's going to be signed by President Biden, and people are going to love it because they're they're going to be getting money that is sent to them. Now, I understand everybody likes free money, but why should we be giving COVID relief to people who haven't been impacted by COVID. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, last year, you had the the checks that went out, $1,200 per adult, $500 per child at the start of the pandemic. And it didn't matter whether you'd been affected by the pandemic or not. It simply was, let's look at what your income is, we don't care. It doesn't matter if you're still working. doesn't matter if you've lost your job. Everybody gets this money here. Then what happened is in December, you had the $600 per person checks that were sent out. And again, it wasn't just sent out to people who lost their jobs due to COVID. It was sent out to everybody below a certain income level. And this is the same thing. $410 billion. The legislation includes $1,400 checks for people making less than $75,000 annually and for married couples making less than $150,000. All 
All right, let's understand what this is. And this, again, this has no relation to whether you've been impacted by by COVID. This is a flat-out government giveaway. And it's interesting because it's specifically, I think, targeted to be a giveaway to, let's say, government workers. And this isn't a teacher bashing thing. I don't mean this. But let's say you've got a family, husband and wife are, are, are teachers, and they're each making... 70 grand a year. So their income is $140,000 a year. They have not been impacted by COVID. They they're they're still working, haven't lost their jobs, maybe they've been teaching at home, but but they've the paychecks have been coming in. They still have their benefits, all these things haven't been impacted at all. They've continued to make their full salary and, and we're going to send this family, uh, the husband and wife, we're going to send them $2,800 on top of the 1200 that we sent in December, on top of the 2400 that we sent last March to people who haven't been impacted by COVID. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If you wanted to tailor a COVID relief bill to the people who had been impacted by COVID, I understand and you can make an argument about that. But that's not what this is. This is a, a major, just, it's a money shift where we, in this case, we, we borrow it. And presumably you're going to have to pay that borrowing back by, by higher taxes at some point in time or whatever. And, and we take it from some people and we give it to others. And I, I'm looking at these polls. Well, 70% of the people love it. Well, of course, 70% of the people love it. I mean, if, if, if somebody were to call me up and say, Hey, Jeff, you know, we're going to send you, um, get, get ready, you know, look at your checking account because there, there's going to be an extra $2,800 in it for you and your, your wife. I mean, I, I'm going to say, great. Absolutely, that that's wonderful. Of course, I love it. But if it's if I say, well, well, why why are we getting this? Because I, I've been working through the pandemic, and you know, I I've, I'm continuing to get my paychecks and things like that. And why 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 are you sending this to me? Well, we're sending it to you because the country's had COVID. Well, okay, and people are hurting. Well, okay, well, some people are in fact hurting, but for the people who who aren't. For the people who haven't suffered from COVID, from the people who have worked through this, why are we sending money to them? 855-616-1620. It's because of the kids. Well, really? We discuss. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And, and oh, by the way, don't, don't forget, I was just using the $2,800 example. It's $1,400 per person. That, that, that doesn't include dependents. Now, if you've got a couple kids, you're going to get that times, let's say you got two kids, you're going to get that times two as well. So a family of four is going to walk away with 5600 bucks, even if you've never been impacted by COVID at all. And yes, 70% of the American people love it. Well, okay, sure. I, I understand that, but... At some point in time, don't we have to say enough is enough? And this whole idea that we're doing it because, well, we it, it's for the kids. Well, no, it's not for the kids. That's not what this is about. If it was for the kids, we would be targeting relief at the people who really need it, as opposed to, I don't know, people that maybe we're just buying the votes of. 855-616-1620. Let's start with Sean in Port Washington. Sean, good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. Long-time listener. Love your show. Thank you. Um, I just had to call in. Uh, during the pandemic, my wife was able to continue working. 
I was able to continue working, but I did take a 20% pay cut for about three and a half months. And I feel as though, yeah, it did affect us, but we make just below the threshold that we get the stimulus checks, and I don't think we should get it. Uh, I was able to keep working. Yeah, I had a pay cut, but I think that money should go towards people who completely lost their jobs, who are going to lose their house, yeah. uh, who had to stay home because they have kids who couldn't go to school things like that. This is terrible. This is just ruining the future for our children and our grandchildren. Well, you know, it's interesting, Sean, because some people that I talk to just think that there's this giant money tree. Well, why, why do you object to giving people money? Well, I don't object to giving people money, but it's it's not like there's a money tree that you walk out behind Capitol Hill and shake it and this money comes down. That The money has to come from somewhere. And I don't object to, again, to your point, you know, the people that have been hurt by this, the people that have lost their jobs, the people that have been unemployed, um, all those folks, you can make a strong argument for getting them money, maybe even getting them more than $1,400 a piece. But for, again, people based simply on their adjusted gross income who haven't been impacted, doesn't make any sense to me at all. Right, exactly. In fact, uh, a good part of mine is going to be donated to a charity of some sort. Yeah, no, th- well, that, thanks for calling. That, that's that's it. Now, I, I, I'm getting some texts from people who are saying, well, Jeff, you don't understand. It, it's too complicated. We can't, the government, the United States government, now having had a year to work on this, can't figure out who's been impacted by COVID and who hasn't. To which I say, give me a break. I mean, the, the idea is, oh, well, we, we can't figure out, you know, who, who's lost their job. We can't figure out, you know, who's, you know, ha- been impacted by this or not. Well, of course you can. You set different criteria. Maybe you mean, maybe you make people have to apply for it. Maybe you have, make people have to say, okay, these are the different criteria that you set up. Okay, have did you lose your job? Did you suffer a, a wage cut that wasn't reimbursed? There's all sorts of different criteria that you can have, but they don't want to do that. And I don't think it's because it's too hard. I think it's because what's going on is you never want to, if we want to create the welfare state, you know, you never want to let this good crisis uh, go to waste. And, and this is it. So let's let's buy the votes. Let's say, here, we're, we're going to send this money. But again, the problem is people are going to have to pay for this at, at some point in, in time. And, you know, how how fair is it to leave it to your children or your grandchildren because you're seizing on this. And this is, by the way, this is just a small aspect of of, of what's going on. You know, whether it's the, the movement towards the, the guaranteed income where all of a sudden we're going to start giving thousands of dollars tax-free to people based on the number of children they have and not making them work. Uh, they, you know, this is this is sort of the end of Clintonism because, you know, Clinton was a big believer in welfare reform and, you know, the idea that you shouldn't just be able to sit on your butt and collect money um, and create what I believe is generations of poverty. Well, we've now seen the Democrats completely reverse that. The, the whole idea of having to work, that's now gone. You know, we're moving towards this idea of, here, we're just going to, we're going to guarantee you income. And if you have a bunch of kids, that's fine. We're going to give you this money, and you can spend it however you want, and hopefully some of it will trickle down to the kids. But you don't have to worry about working or anything like that. So that's a part of this that's going on as well. But you look up and down at this bill, and you understand that there's some stuff that is well intended. Obviously, there are people who are still hurting because of COVID, but were we really not able to figure out who those people were and then help them as opposed to just spending money to help everybody, including giving people a bunch of money that they don't need and frankly, 
don't deserve. And by deserve, I mean they don't deserve it because they weren't impacted by COVID, if that's the justification for giving them the money in the first place. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Drew, producing the show today and always, do you know who Robert Roger Mudd was? Is that before your time? Yeah, it's before my time. Okay, well, Roger Mudd, who passed away yesterday at the age of 93, Roger Mudd was a, a very, very prominent TV news person back when TV news anchors were very prominent. He worked for CBS. He was actually the fill-in for Walter Cronkite. Walter Cronkite return, retired like 40 years ago last week and stuff. But Roger Mudd would, would fill in for Walter Cronkite. And then he, so he worked for CBS. He also worked for NBC. But the, the interesting thing about Roger Mudd, was, and he works for PBS, I think, as well. But the interesting thing, the thing that he will always be famous for, and it is a, it is a lesson for politicians everywhere. Roger Mudd was uh, interviewing Ted Kennedy. Remember the the... the of course, you know, part of the, the Kennedy family. And Roger and Ted Kennedy was exploring a run for president um, back in, in 1979. Now, this was, this was, he was, Kennedy was going to challenge uh, Jimmy Carter. Jimmy Carter was the president, and, and Kennedy was thinking about running against Carter for the uh, nomination, for the Democratic nomination. Now, Ronald Reagan went on to win in 1980. But Roger Mudd is doing this interview. And Roger Mudd asks Ted Kennedy, why do you want to be president? And Ted Kennedy absolutely and totally blows the question. And he just, if you watch it, he just, he kind of gets this deer in the headlights look. And, and then he just starts to to ramble on. And, and, and it, it just, and you watch this and everybody's watching. It's going, oh my gosh, this is just a train wreck. And, and so that's why anybody Whoever runs for office, who talks to a consultant or understands anything about history, one of the first things that, that you are asked is, why do you want to be president? Why do you want to be senator? Why do you want to be a congressman? Why do you want to be dog catcher? Why do you want to be on the school board? And if you can't, in, in the space of one or two sentences, give a clear, definite answer as to why you want to be elected, why you want the particular gig, you've got major league problems. And and it's then the, the consultants, for example, or the advisors, whenever people come to me and they say they're, they're thinking about running for office, et cetera, et cetera, and I say, that, that's great. That's my first question. Why do you want the job? And that's one of the real ways of telling. But that goes back to Roger Mudd, 1979, when he asked Ted Kennedy, why do you want to be president? And Kennedy goes, uh, I, you know, just, it, it's like you, you don't know. So that's kind of Roger Mudd's legacy. But, you know, he he was from that era where you, you did have like lots of attention paid to network news and things of the like. And uh, he, he was a giant. OK, we, we've got an abbreviated program today because of the Brewers game. But I, I do I, I do want to try to do one more talk topic. Our number is 855 616 I've said this before. As soon as I am eligible to get the COVID vaccine, I intend to get it. I, I guess I, I've said I had COVID in, in I had it in November, mild case, completely recovered. I've got the antibodies. I, I know because I've, I've you know had blood tests and stuff. But still, regardless, when it is made available to me, whenever that might be. I intend to, to get it because I typically don't have bad reactions to stuff. And I guess I figure once I get it, that pretty much guarantees that I'm not going to get it again, even though I, I, I know the science is a little bit unclear, but I, I'm pretty confident that I've got immunities. But regardless, I intend to get it. 
the estimates are somewhere between 30 and 40 percent of people aren't. 855-616-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. It is an individual decision, by and large. If you have decided, at least at this point, that you're not going to get the vaccine when it's available, I have a question, and that question is why. 855-616-1620, for those of you who aren't going to get the vaccine when it becomes available, what is your thinking? We're going to discuss in just a moment. 855-616-1620. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Sooner rather than later, hopefully anybody who wants to get the vaccine will be able to do it. Uh, depending on what estimates you look at, once it's readily available, they, they still say they don't think more than, you know, 55, 60%, maybe best case scenario, 70% of people who are eligible to get the vaccine will choose to be vaccinated. Now, I have to tell you, and this isn't being judgmental, I just don't understand this. Um, even though I have the COVID antibodies, I, I still, as soon as it's available to me, I'm going to get it. And I don't understand why people don't. So my, my question, and this is, I'm not gonna, not gonna, you know, jump on you. I'm just legitimately curious. If you are making the decision or have made the decision that you're not going to get the vaccine, my question is why not? 855-616-1620. Gianni and Montello, you're first. Good afternoon. Uh, yes, good afternoon, Jeff. Uh, great topic. Hey, listen, um, you know, initially I, I, I was reluctant to get the vaccine. You know, I, I'm only 56, so I, before any you know, before the elderly, the people that are in nursing homes and, and, and frontline workers that really need it. So that would be my reason for not, not getting it. But, hey, listen, w- when the vaccine becomes um, more available to people my age, perhaps in another month or two, I'm, I'm wondering, um, you know, if, if the numbers are going down, um, sh- shouldn't we wait and get the vaccine when uh, perhaps closer to wintertime, uh, you know, in, in perhaps uh, November or December when this thing could pop up again. Um, I, and, and my, and I, my so your, your, is, your, your question is, how is long it, is the know. immunity? Well, how I think, long is no, the I get immunity? it. Does, I mean, I don't know. Does I mean, the immunity thanks, last three, yeah. three months or does it last a year? Well, I, mean, th- I don't think they know the answer to that, but I guess I would argue, Johnny, that, that the waiting doesn't, that doesn't make it isn't better. I mean, and, and can't, I mean, I think that's a fair question. You know, what is the immunity? Are you going to need booster shots at some point in time? And, and they, they just, I mean, again, they, they don't know. You know, the, the conventional wisdom right now has been if you've had COVID, you know, you've got immunity for at least three months, but there's, there's very little evidence uh, of any sort of widespread reinfection. I'm not saying it doesn't happen, but my, my, my guess, and I'm not a scientist, is that uh, for the people that have had it, uh, I don't know that there's been any huge percentage that have been reinfected. So my guess is the immunities kind of last longer. But I guess regardless, if you're going to get the vaccine, I don't know why you would delay it. Um, Jeff, um, let's see. It's not recommended for people who have had previous, you know, a bad reactions. And again, I, I understand that. I mean, if, if that that would be a reason that makes sense. If you're allergic to shots, if you've had the flu shot and you get sick and all those type of things, that that to me makes sense. And that's that's a valid reason, I think, for not doing that. Um, but again, 
I guess I look at this and I say, why not? Assuming, for example, in a case like mine, I'm not, I I don't have, I have not had allergic reaction. I get the flu shot every year. I have not had allergic reactions to that. So I guess I'm sitting there thinking you get this done and then you don't have to worry about it moving forward. Jeff, I'm not going to get the vaccine because I'm not sure quite what's in it. I'll wait a year and see what they're coming out with next year if there is a a new COVID vaccine. Jeff, I'm not going to get it because I have fear of an allergic reaction that I have experienced before. Well, I mean, I understand that. I think there's people like that. Um, Another person saying, I've had reactions to several vaccinations and I don't feel comfortable getting it. That that's a rationale that I understand. But I think that that's for most people. It, it's not the case. And again, I'm I'm not lecturing folks, but the, I want to get back to normal as soon as possible. And the, the biggest recipe to that is getting, you know, broad, wide scale immunity. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. And this is Jeff Wagner. So very glad to have you with us. Just a couple minutes before we turn it over to uh, Brewers Baseball, spring training baseball. This is actually my last early out for the spring training season because we go to daylight saving time uh, over the weekend. And Arizona is not on daylight saving time, so it kind of adjusts things. But um, we all have to, you know, stays lighter longer, and I think that's a great deal. Hey, I want to just put this on your on your radar screen because we'll talk a little bit more about it as we get closer the um the moving wall which is the mobile version of the vietnam veterans wall that's coming to waukesha this spring as a matter of fact it's it's going to be out in waukesha the the the, the first night it's there they're having a a ceremony and a service that's going to be there and um i'm going to be part of it on may 27th and it's going to be it's going to be i think a wonderful sort of thing but i do want to encourage people to mark their calendars and make a point like i say it's, it's late may and it's going to be on display for a while of getting out and seeing it i I, i've if you ever have had a chance to go to washington dc and and if you haven't hopefully you will at at some point in time in the near future but if you ever have a chance to go to washington dc there there are just several things that you need to see You, you need to go to the smithsonian's when they're open you need to go to the washington monument you need to go to the lincoln memorial it's just incredible but then when you're standing at the lincoln memorial if you look to your right there's a little pathway that goes down if you follow that path down you you get to the the vietnam veterans wall and it doesn't matter how many times I've been there, and I can't tell you how many times that's been. I, I can't tell you how powerful that that is. And, and maybe it's because I was a little bit too young for the Vietnam era, but I, I have I, I know people whose older brothers, you know, for example, went and did not come back. It's just an incredibly powerful moving experience. And the opportunities I've had when I've seen that the the moving wall. It's it's equally as powerful. So we'll talk about this more as it gets closer. But it's coming to Waukesha in May. It was supposed to come last year, and then they had to put it off because of the pandemic. But it's going to be back. And uh, I encourage you, if you get a chance, get out and see it. Um, it's just absolutely spectacular. One of the other big questions that's out there, well, maybe we'll talk about it a little bit more yet on tomorrow's program, is that the operative question is how long is it going to be? before Joe Biden ends up holding a a news conference. No modern president has gone this far into a term without holding a real news conference. No president, no modern president at all. And, of course, 
the, the question that's on a lot of people's minds is, you know, why why is this? Is it because there's a fear that Joe Biden, because of whatever, isn't ready for prime time and that that's going to get exposed if he stands in front of the you know White House press corps, even if it's a friendly White House press corps and has to answer questions? I don't know what the answer to that is. I don't know why that is. But I am here to tell you that the longer this goes on, the more questions are going to be asked. So if I were giving advice to the Biden administration and I wanted all these issues to kind of go away, make people stop questioning whether or not he's fit for the job or not, my big thing would be have a press conference, answer questions, dispel the critics' concerns, and move on. All right, I am out of time. Back 12 noon tomorrow when we do this all again. Brewers baseball is coming up. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Have a great Wednesday.